I do greet you in our Savior's precious name, the name of Jesus. Do you really believe that you are dwelling in a goodly tent? I'm not sure what the plan is. There's five or six songbooks up here on this pulpit. So I guess there's a... Someone thinks that the, the preachers ought to be more preachers up here singing. But anyway. It's interesting the way my thoughts have gone in the last week and, and while as things come into our existence. We read things. We meditate and as I pondered what to to share this morning my mind went to non-resistance and I'd like to look at that a bit but before I go there I'd like to consider a few verses that that stuck out to me just recently in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he, being Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, I've heard it said that it's that, that we're challenged and we leave a challenge. I've also heard someone say that it's better to be exercised than challenged. If someone is physically challenged, that means they don't get along very well. Depends on how you interpret or which definition of challenge. But Jesus spent all night in prayer, and he did that several times. Following this one, he chose the 12 apostles. And then if you jump down a few verses to chapter 17, immediately following that, it says, He came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went out for there went virtue out of him and healed them all Jesus went to the mountain but I don't think it was for a vacation and when he came down just imagine being thronged with a multitude the pressure, the stress of that. The pressure of the crowd and the pleas and maybe even the demands to be healed. We don't know. But it says the whole multitude sought to touch him. Think he was claustrophobic? But I see the servant Jesus. Virtue going out of him because he had been filled. Are you, am I, seeking to be filled 
that we can have virtue, not as not like the same as Christ, and yet we are his ambassadors. And maybe some of that flows into the, the thoughts that I will share next. I have a title that's a little longer than some, but maybe it can stir your minds a little bit. Non-resistance, an antithetical response of humility, love, and trust. Because non-resistance is a response to aggression. That's the idea. Some, something that's coming, evil, uh, being treated unfairly, and then we have a response. We can respond in like kind, or we can have an antithetical response, an opposite response. And we will see that the response that we are called to is a response of humility, love, and trust, or that trust in God to make things right. And that was interesting as I was looking at the Sunday school lesson and one of the questions brought that, that thought out of what do we do if we're wronged and being able to commit that to God. But first, I'd like to look in the Old Testament. It's some glimpses that we see. We often think of non-resistance as a New Testament principle but it's there in the Old Testament. And some verses in Proverbs 24 to begin with, verses 28 and 29 says this, Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. So there already a proverb saying it is not good to return evil for evil. There's a better way. In Exodus 23, 4 and 5, this is the, the New King James. says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray. Well, I say there, what, what would you do if you see your enemy, someone that you really don't like, they're always antagonistic to you, making trouble for you. And if you see something of theirs that is maybe being damaged or someone stealing it, what would you want to do? As I hear sometimes, it serves them right. Right? Here it says, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, like it fell down and was not able to get up, and you refrain from helping it, you should surely help him with it. That's the opposite response of our natural inclination to say, <laughs> serves you right. In 1 Samuel, I'd like to read a passage here, 1 Samuel 24. This is David. After he had cut off the robe of Saul's skirt, 
we know that in this situation, this circumstance, David was being severely tormented by someone without cause. He was, he was facing evil. But it says in verse 11, Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Upon whom, after whom is the king of Israel come out? And after whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? And the Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how thou hast dealt well with me, forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him get away? Let him go away well? Wherefore, the Lord reward thee good for that. Pardon me, I'm, my papers are sticking together. The Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. David had every carnal right to kill his enemy. And he responded with humility, with trust that God would make it right. Another proverb, Proverbs 25 this time, in verses 21 and 22, says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heat coals of fire on his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. We know that verse from Romans 12. Very similar. It's quoted. But it's not just in Romans 12. And there's a beautiful account of this. And maybe we don't think of it in quite the, this, this way. But in 2 Kings 6, I'd like to read four verses there of the account of Elisha, when the Syrian army was not finding victory over Israel, and they said, well, there's somebody that's a traitor in our midst, and someone said, no, there's no traitor in our midst. It's simply Elisha is hearing what you're saying in your bedchamber, and he's telling the king of Israel. And so the Syrian king sent a large army to go and get Elisha. And... After he had prayed that his servant could see that the mountains were filled with horses and chariots of fire. In verse 20, it says, 2 Kings 6, And it came to pass when they, the Syrian army, were come into Samaria, which is where Elisha had led them, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Because he had prayed that they could be smitten blind. 
And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. So here you have an army that had been smitten blind. They were led into their enemies' hands. I mean, they were totally at the mercy of their enemies. And their eyes are opened. I can't imagine what they felt. They had been duped. They were helpless. And they had come on a mission of evil. And I don't know that they knew that this man that led them there was who they were actually seeking at that point. But in verse 21, Then the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? They are enemies, right? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he, the king of Israel, prepared great provision for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. That's a practical outworking of that proverb. And it thrills my heart to see what God did through Elisha to, to counter what they were trying to do. Now just going to one of Jesus' experiences, some of his teaching experience, we'll move into that, but looking in Luke chapter 9, I had forgotten about this account until I was, was studying here and, and see what, what happened in Luke 9, beginning at verse 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went, entered into the village of, Samari of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, do you remember what their, name, their, uh, their nickname was? Sons of Thunder. They evidently were known for their uh, take charge, let's get something done here. And they, they wanted to stand up to this. And they saw it. They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Jesus was not being treated well here. They wanted to make it right. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. An interesting aside that, that may or not be but so relevant, we don't know exactly which village of the Samaritans this was, but if you go to Acts chapter 8, it says that the apostles heard that the Samaria had received the gospel through Philip, and they sent Peter and John, John one of these, And they prayed, and the Holy Spirit fell on those people. A different fire. 
just just interesting to see what God had for those people. In Jesus' experience and teaching, to continue thinking of that, in Matthew 26, more his experience here. Matthew 26, 49. So Judas and the company came. We're all familiar with this, but And forthwith he, Judas, came to Jesus, verse 49, and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into thy place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Don't think that we need swords to preserve ourselves. God, God's way is not that. He said, I, I could have, I could annihilate this whole group with the word. But then it wouldn't fulfill God's will and God's plan. Yes. that account it says and Jesus answered and said suffer ye thus far and he touched his ear and he healed him in John 18 shortly after this Jesus speaking to Pilate Pilate asked him if he were, he were a king and such like. But there Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You know, if I was trying to set up an earthly kingdom, yes, my servants would fight. Because it's not right that I would be delivered to the Jews to be to be killed. But my kingdom is not of this realm. It's not in this, this sphere. Turn with me, if you would, to, to Matthew chapter 5. In some reading recently, I came across looking at, at history of, of our people and 
the change of circumstance of of Anabaptist people, you know, shortly after their inception of of the the movement in the 1500s, there was a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution, and a lot of opportunity to respond in a in a non-resistant way. Suffering was the key concept of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Well, you fast forward a couple hundred years and the suffering waned. And there were goodly tents, prosperity, peace for many. And if you if you look at what the the focus of a lot of teaching and and thought was in the 17, 1800s, it became that of humility. And I think they're really closely related because suffering, our response to suffering will indicate whether our heart is humble or proud. And it can also, it doesn't just happen in suffering that 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 attitude comes out. But I I looked here as I as I analyzed this passage I see as I mentioned the title humility, love and trust. And I believe that those are key elements that the child of God will have that will allow there to be that opposite response to evil. Let's read Matthew 5 beginning at verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Just to pause there. Resisting evil. And we have several different categories here that I believe would fall under that that evil or that unfairness, injustice that we experience. It says here, if you are smitten on the cheek, that's physical violence. We have a response. In verse 40, suing at the law. Perhaps unjustly taking my possessions. In verse 41, shall compel thee to go a mile. Maybe that's being taken advantage of. Or when something is demanded of you. Let's go quickly to 1 Corinthians 6. There's two verses there I'd like to to bring in here. As we see Paul teaching and exhorting and rebuking the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 7 and 8. Now therefore... 
There is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Or verse 8 in the New King James. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and ye do these things to your brethren. The attitude here he's calling for, Paul and Jesus, of a meek response of humility. So often, I and we, I believe, have this concept of rights, my rights. I have a right to this or a right to that. We live in a country that has a bill of rights, and we like that. But where do you go in Scripture that it says these are your rights as citizens of a country or these are your rights. You have a right to this, that, and the other. There are things that that justice would call our rights. But I believe that this concept of my rights is something that the prince of this world would love to impress upon my proud heart rather than the Prince of Peace, call me to. And I think we need to be careful that we don't think we have to stand up for our rights because that, my rights, is is that prideful attitude of I am owed this. A humble attitude that says, yes, you've done me wrong. But that doesn't mean that I am above you. That I have to demand retribution. You are taking my goods. Maybe you need them more than I do. You're taking advantage of me. God sees. And you know it can be easy to sit here and and say well this is what Jesus says. We think of non-resistance often as a military fighting war, a response we have there. But you know, I think our non-resistance there will only be as deep as our non-resistance to each other and to our neighbors. I was reading a book, have read and was reading it again, a book called Bearing Witness. And it just pulls a smattering of, of examples of stories, real life stories, some back in the early church up to today of people in the world that are suffering for the cause of Christ because they're Christians, because they will not fight, because they will not resist evil. And some of those people, yes, it was in time of of war, the one account of some Hutterites during World War I and and they were imprisoned and taken to Alcatraz, severely, severely treated. And they kept coming back to, no, I cannot, I cannot fight, I cannot hurt, I cannot kill. But there's something else that came through the letters that they wrote. That was their hope in Christ. 
They're seeing beyond the day and time that they were in. Their hope of eternal life. But not only were it those scenarios of, of wartime, but also many places in the world just being a Christian. And when the rebels of this group or that group come, your life is not worth anything if you pronounce if you proclaim the name of Christ. In their eyes, you are in the way. A humble attitude. If we continue reading here in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, Jesus goes on and He says, not only are we to accept unfair treatment, we are to actively seek the good of those that are mistreating us. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Aren't we glad that God loves even His enemies? Even those that turn their back on Him. Because if I understand reality, most of us were there at some point. There's some little children here that I trust aren't the enemies of God. But all of us don't deserve, none of us deserve the love of God. <clears throat> when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are to exemplify that, that attitude of love. There's an interesting uh, passage in Ezekiel that I don't have, have here, but God is speaking through the prophet, and He says, the children of Israel, they walked away from Me. They continued to worship the Baals, the idols. They bowed themselves down, but He says, I took Ephraim by the hand and I taught him to walk. And he kept turning his back on Me. And it goes on to say, the picture is that I even took his food and I chopped it up and I fed him. I cared for him and he just turned his back on me. God's love extends to each. In this, <clears throat> excuse me, in these verses here, we see not only this physical violence and loss of possessions, but we see verbal abuse. Bless them that curse you. A response that's exactly the opposite. Antithetical response. There's hate and there's pride that will bring pain, will bring, will bring injustice into our lives. And we have to decide what to do with that. The third aspect 
that I see that enables us to respond in a godly way, a Christ-like way, and that's trust in God's sovereignty. If we go to Romans chapter 12, read a few verses there. Some of this is very repetitive. Some of the apostles just lining out what Jesus already taught in a different way to to those that, that didn't read the gospel, perhaps. But it says in Romans 12, verse 14, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. There's a humble mind. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Do your part to give and to make peace. And then in verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what we saw David attempting to do with Saul. Overcome evil with good. Not be overcome. But we see here, that we can trust the Lord will avenge. God will God will make it right. Some now and some later. In Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 32 through 36. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partially while ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. That sounds like when you were converted, you heard the gospel, you, you responded to it, life was rough. Afflictions, reproaches, whether it was to you personally, or you were willing to stand up and stand alongside those that were facing this. Verse 34, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You know, as I consider our lot right now, very few of us suffer like many do. And so why should we speak to this? Why should we remind ourselves of the need for a response of humility and and love and trust if we're not even being wronged? But we need these scriptures in our hearts. We need the attitude there. 
Now, as I said, I think, I think how I can respond when I find out that I've been taken advantage of in business is an indicator of how I respond when someone takes once, when I'm faced with a deeper, maybe more in the face need or called on to resist for my country. But if I can have the attitude that God, it's an attitude of faith. It's a heart that's resting in faith. That God will make right. In 1 Peter 2, there's also the call to, to suffer patiently, even for your, your well-doing, not just your faults. And in verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Christ had that, that perspective of faith. As I, was, as I was studying, I came across someone's comment that said that in the, the Sermon on the Mount there, that Jesus, when he talked about being cursing in aura, not sure exactly which, well, actually it was the smite, smiting on the cheek turned the other. This man said, well, you go and look what Jesus did before, when he was before the, the high priest, and he was, he made a response to the high priest, and one of the guards slapped him. And he said, Jesus, if you read that, Jesus just said, if I have done wrong, if I have done, if I've done something wrong, that's show me what I've done, what I said wrong, and if I haven't, why'd you smite me? And he took that response to say that, well, this really, Jesus didn't mean this literally. But did Jesus lash out or did he just say, I don't, show me what I've done wrong. I don't see Jesus smiting back. I don't see that this is not meant to be taken in what it says. And we are told here in, in Peter's perspective that when Christ was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't say, you're going you're gonna to face judgment for the way you're treating me. But he committed himself to God. And later in 1 Peter, again, we are, we are told... Not to render evil for evil or railing for railing, but blessing. We do see in Romans 13 that God uses civil authorities to do some of the avenging now of evil but that the followers of Christ are not to have a part in that realm. Because it says that he is a minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. But our attitude should not be rejoicing in another's judgment. 
Humility and love do not rejoice in another's pain. There's an interesting proverb in Proverbs 24. It says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Don't, don't say, yes, you got what you deserved. That's a heart of pride, of arrogance. Yes, we are glad at times when we can see God's judgment, God's justice. Because we know that is a character of God. But yet, do we feel pain? Do we feel a love for our enemies and not wish them condemned? We wish they could repent. Do we wish those that would see, that would take advantage of us would know what it is to have peace in their hearts and a love for others? Lastly, I would just like to leave you with one verse. As we looked at Jesus' response to opposition, there where they wanted, his disciples wanted to call down fire and his unjust treatment before the authorities, rightly or wrongly. And he said that a, that a non-resistant response was needed to fulfill the Father's will. He said that several times. That, you know, Jesus went there at the Samaritans. He said, I came to save life, not destroy it. And if I exercise resistance, I won't fulfill the Father's will. And then in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Yes, Jesus did have a special role to play. He did have a special place in history. We aren't called to die on a cross for the forgiveness of men's sins. But here he calls us to the same life of service, of humility, of love, and of trust.